Welcome to the Wednesday Conversation. I'm Mike Kresnick, and I'm here with Pastor Bob Thune and Pastor Dusty White of Cormdeo Church. Every Wednesday, we sit down to talk about how the gospel of Jesus Christ connects to the questions and issues of everyday life. And today, we're talking about the gospel and shame. And we have our friend, Dr. Gary Nebaker, along with us as well. And uh, this came out of a conversation we were having last week as we were recording, and uh, Gary, you brought up the idea of shame, and it's been a topic that we've talked some about and thought about. How does this uh, affect us as Christians? And so I thought it's an important topic for us to talk about. Let me set up a little bit for the listeners what, um, what this topic is about and why it's important. So for some of you, as we talk about this, you're, you're going to have this light bulb go on of, oh, that's exactly what I experience. For others of you, you're not going to have that light bulb, but it's no less important that you understand this because I think this is one of the, in pastoring, Dusty, I think you'd agree that this is one of the most pronounced things that we see that actually defeats people's ability to really experience joy in, in the gospel is that there's a there's sort of a, um, a background of shame that exists in their reality that's sort of the, the grid through which they see the world, and that makes it really hard to embrace the good news of the gospel. And so whether you're a person who resonates with this topic or, or whether you're just trying to figure out how to do a better job making disciples, this idea of shame is crucial um, when we think about what it means to help one another believe the gospel. I was uh, talking with another pastor a, a couple weeks ago, and he was telling me about receiving criticism from people in his church. We were just talking about sort of responding to criticism and what he said. He, he had has come out of a very sort of shame-based background in his family. And he said, every every time somebody critiqued a sermon or told me something they didn't like about the church, what I heard was, you're a failure. And um, that's a little bit, I think, Gary, how, how sort of shame works. Can you can you describe a little bit yeah. why that's present? How yeah. That's there? Well, it goes back to the original pair, uh, Adam and Eve. Um, but let me let me describe it existentially, and then we'll maybe look at the scriptures as well. Uh, shame is a near-death emotion. It's a near-death emotion. Um, it is an emotion that's brought on by situations, circumstances, or people where your foolishness, your failure is seen, and you're feeling naked and vulnerable and you just want to die. I, I would rather be dead right now. Uh, Adam and Eve, you know, the first thing they do is that, you know, they were naked and unashamed. God created them that way. But the first thing they did was they made some clothes and they hid from God. So, uh, yeah, it's, a, it's an emotion, a near-death emotion where death seems so, in this moment, very tempting. And existentially what it also looks like is we get locked into this prison of self-loathing and self-condemnation. And even though if we know the gospel, it's like, yeah, but. So I think in a broad brushstroke, that would, would be the existential nature of shame. So it seems like all of us have experienced shame, that emotion, at some point in life. Also seems like there's some people who experience this at a much more basic level. Um, what What are some of the things that caused this to be, for some people, a very sort of persistent feeling. Yes. You mentioned shame-based family systems. Um, that catchphrase gained a lot of circulation in the 1990s. A fellow by the name of John Bradshaw did some really good work in that area. 
but you grow up in a family system where um, there's there are power brokers, and it can even be siblings, who basically um, say in so many words, you are not worthy of life in this family, unless uh, you perform up to the standards that we've set in this family. As long as you're keeping some good standards going, um, you're good. But uh, did you see what you did there? And so there's just different ways that that can play itself out. But I think for a lot of us, it's a shame-based family of origins issue. Yeah, and I think um, it's also hard for us to realize um, that, Bob, you mentioned earlier that we've all experienced shame on some level. Um, which is true. It's just true of humanity. It's true of Adam and Eve. So therefore, it's true of us in the decreation. And um, what's interesting about that is, uh, I think it's tempting to believe. Well, I'm not really a shameful person. I'm more of a more of a prideful person, or you know, something like that, some sort of characteristic. But we've all experienced some sort of shame if we've experienced some sort of worthlessness at any point in our life or any sort of failure. And so, one example of that is uh, just like a week ago, I was coaching baseball. Uh, I was a, I was a running coach, uh, on third base and this third baseman, um, you know, little 10 year old kid, uh, catches the ball and instead of tagging third base on a force out, uh, hits the runner with his glove ball comes out. And so therefore the runner on third base is safe, right? So right there you have a player who's guilty of maybe making the wrong play. Uh, and so that's really true. But then that went into shame when his dad stood up on the bleacher and yelled at him, mm. right? And so you have you have you have the slippery slope of guilt to shame there. And so the kid already felt exposed because he was in the wrong and he had failed and he had done something wrong and he had already f- probably felt worthless in that moment. And then that was heaped on with more shame from his dad from the bleacher. So um, we've all experienced shame on some sort of level. Maybe not that you know dramatic, but. It is there. If you've ever felt worthless or if you've ever failed at anything or lost a job or been overweight or maybe even been too thin in a family that is overweight or, you know, it just Mm -hmm. sneaks its way in and then it never leaves. What would be the opposite of shame? What's the healthy emotion that we're sort of longing for instead of that? Well, maybe theologically theologically we would say it this way. Uh, When God created man and woman— uh, the psalmist says, Thou hast crowned them with glory and honor. And the antonym of glory and honor is shame. And so something in our image bearing gets skewed. Um, uh, you know, I, I, I guess, Bob, emotion wise, a sense that I, as an image bearer, possess dignity and worth. And um, glory is a, a wonderful Hebrew word that means um, weightiness and power. I think this is what the gospel accords to us as believers, that I am worth, I'm priceless in God's sight. And God has um, given me worth and significance and power. And, and owning that emotionally, I think, would be the opposite of shame. Something to add to that is uh, Justin Holcomb and his wife wrote a book, Rid of My Disgrace, and in there they talk about the opposite of shame being shalom or peace, um, yeah. which is really helpful because if it's like going back to what you said earlier, 
Gary, if it feels like a near-death experience and I'd rather die, well, then maybe the opposite of that would be peace and tranquility and yes. uh, delight and a, a sense of universal flourishing, you know, with the, mm-hmm. the root word of shalom. Mm-hmm. Is shame ever something I should feel? One of the things that's interesting about shame, and especially that Hebrew word that's used um, in these different contexts, it carries the idea, ah, you caught me in my foolishness. I want to die, <laughs> or I feel like I want to die. So I think we could say that there are instances where there is a legitimacy to shame, a legitimacy to shame, but I think where the gospel helps us, and even even in confession, you see it, David's confessions, that uh, a broken and contrite heart keep us from lingering in that prison of self-loathing. So I think where I want to try to, I want to establish how it is that the gospel does and should free us from shame. Mm -hmm. And I feel like we first of all have to establish the reality of that because we're guilty before God, there is a, what what you call a legitimate sort of shame that we should feel. In other words, I I have been found foolish, right? I've been seen in my nakedness, not, not, not by a God who wants to exploit that or point at that, but but there's a it's I use the example of a kid who's caught you know with his hand in the cake eating before you know there's not just a, oh I'm guilty but there's also like oh I'm exposed yeah and that's what's really cool about the uh, garden narrative is Adam hides and God asks a question well, well who told you you're naked there's an internal mechanism in the human psyche that says I'm caught I'm dead I'm foolish. And it's so it's like this internal voice, which is why we, which is why when shame pops up, we want to self-protect, and we want to, we want to go inward, and we want to hide, and we want to do exactly what because Adam the, taught us how that, to do. That's excellent because that gets us right to there's this almost default response in all of us that's the hiding response, right? Yeah. That's the, I'm gonna, I'm gonna avoid ever feeling exposed, and what I think is crucial for for our conversation is that that's the thing that the gospel is supposed to defeat. It's the truth of the gospel that makes it okay for me not to hide. But to the extent that I'm not embracing the fact that Jesus has dealt not just with guilt but with shame, yes. I'll, I'll still be prone to sort of that default, I want to hide, I want to get mm-hmm. out of this situation. So can, can you guys talk a little bit about how does the good news of the gospel, <laughs> how, how does that actually give me freedom from shame and from living in a, in a world of shame? When shame pops up, I have the I have the opportunity to respond. I'm either going to hide and self protect, or I'm going to be I'm already exposed, and so I have the opportunity to do two things: embrace my forgiveness in Christ, be cleansed, and let that shame out. It's kind of like a bad mold that grows in the darkness, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but that's so much it's so much better to get it out because if if I if I keep it in the dark, it grows. If I come out into the light and and move away from my self protection. It's defeated. It's defeated with the blood of Jesus. Mm-hmm. It's yes. defeated in community. I think the way to yes. attack it is in community and in the light. Gary, is the verse you? I've heard you mention the verse. Is it in Colossians where it talks about Christ triumphing or despising the shame? Hebrews, Hebrews twelve two. Yes, Hebrews twelve two. Um, Which is an interesting phrase. Very much so. Very Despise. much. Despise so. have nothing to do with. Right. Yeah, yeah. I mean, our Lord recognizes this is going to be a terrible way to die. But this is something that God 
willed and purposed for the salvation of the world, I'm going to hang in there. Stick with it. Yeah, powerful. Uh, Some things out of Romans that are powerful. Obviously, Paul says, I am not ashamed of the gospel, Romans 1.16. It's the power of God for salvation for everyone who believes. So the gospel in its essence, for because of what Christ has done, he bore our shame on the cross. Uh, it's, a, it's the gospel that d- Jesus' death on a cross is a major shame buster. Uh, over in Romans 9.33, uh, Paul quoting Psalm 118, actually does a conflation of Psalm 118 and Isaiah 28.16. He says, whoever believes in Jesus will not be put to shame. And then here's a great text that I used the other day with a pastor who was struggling with the same kind of thing you were talking about, Bob. Um, I just don't feel like I'm living up. I'm always, you know, falling short. But these were his messages. It, you know, he kind of took them and ran with them and went into the prison of self-loathing. But we looked together at um, he, uh, Romans 10, um, verse... 30, oh, excuse me, Romans 8, I'm sorry, Romans 8, had a senior moment there, Romans 8, 33, who is the one who condemns? Christ Jesus is he who died, yes, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, and who intercedes for us. Um, Stop condemning yourself. You've got an advocate who's died for you, who is raised and who is interceding for you. And so, yeah, I think that's a, that's a great verse there that frees us from the prison of, of self-loathing. Tim Keller, when he talks about apologetics, often uses the, the category or the, the metaphor of de- what he calls defeater beliefs, which are sort of beliefs that people hold out there in the culture that sort of automatically render the gospel implausible. And it seems like shame for Christians is a almost an automatic defeater because you mentioned at the beginning of our conversation, Gary, that, that it, it gives me this sort of disposition that, well, I, I know the gospel is true technically, yes. but it doesn't feel true to right. me. Um, what have you seen helpful in, in getting through that to where I really actually can receive the good news of the gospel? I mean, you, you just... You read some great verses there, but I'm thinking about even for the person who those verses are sort of going to sound like distant truth to them. You know that I can I can agree that Jesus does that for other people. I just can't. I have a hard time believing that He does it for me or that it's true for me. What have you found helpful for them to to sort of break through into this sort yeah. of open air of the gospel? Dusty, I want to hear your thoughts on on that question. But I think what has to happen, and this uh, something came up the other day. Um, this person was doing the very thing you're talking about, Bob. They were saying, yeah, I know that's true for... And what I tried to get the person to see is how self-focused that kind of attitude is. That you don't see how going into this prison of self-loathing is a form of self-focus and even God-playing. Uh, I wrote an article with one of my colleagues in the Journal of Biblical Counseling some years back. When we condemn ourselves, we are playing God. We're, we step in the role of judge and jury and say, you know what? 
this gospel is good information, but my feelings override the gospel right now. And it seems to me that that's a form of God playing and very self-focused. Mm-hmm. But gently, you know, that's something we had to gently get folks to see, take their eyes off their sin and themselves and onto the cross. And the more you're self-focused, that comes out of self-protection, which is going to deepen your unbelief rather than your belief in the gospel, right? Uh, So I would take somebody back to Hebrews 12, too, and say, well, what does that say to God that he took on the cross and he despised shame? He stared it down. He was unworthy of the shame that he took on. He wasn't he was he wasn't he was signing up for your shame and and you can't decide to just sit on the sideline that day and say well yeah he did that for everybody else but me mm-hmm. he went down the road of calvary for your shame and so what does that say to god that you're going to decide to self protect and hide and and let shame keep dominant yeah yeah bob uh, and colleagues here <laughs> i wanted to point out something that doesn't get talked about with regard to shame and uh, the hiding and covering issue can be very sophisticated. And in fact, it can take on a moral character. Uh, think of it. Uh, they sewed fig leaves together. That was the first religious act in history. And How the much? first domestic thing ever done. <laughs> yeah, first team, team building. Um, but here's what we're going to do. Morally, we're going to cover what we do. And it seems to me, maybe this is what's going on in the Galatian epistle, uh, epistle as uh, the, the Galatians start out well, but some folks come along and say, no, you know, you need to really be Jewish and doing lots of Jewish things. And, and you see one mad apostle in Galatians. But one of the things I notice about us as believers is the temptation to be moral in covering up our shame. Uh, I, I lingered a little bit too long on that internet website last night. I got mad at my kids again. Okay, tomorrow morning, I'm going to get up earlier for more prayer time. I'm going to give a little more money in the offering plate. Um, it seems that one of our default mechanisms is we try to placate God through morality. Uh, I'm going to make up for this, God. I'm not going to do this anymore. And uh, without a gospel focus and without a contrition of heart and without a spirit empowerment, all of that's going to do is put us in this cycle of trying harder and failing. And so that's, yeah, it's just kind of the moral temptation, we can call it. Well, you connected shame to performance a few minutes ago, and it seems like, and again, I don't want to be overly just a, just a truth guy, but it seems like grasping the reality that God saves us by grace ap- entirely apart from performance. Mm-hmm. That, that that sinking in is so crucial to defeating that sort of, I'll perform better next time, and that's how I'll cover my shame. Yes. I, I just have to realize, get, you know, I, oftentimes with, uh, with guys who are struggling with porn or, or those kinds of sort of shameful things, uh, you know, I just want to reiterate to them, yep, and Jesus died for you anyway. He, he didn't die mm-hmm. for the you that doesn't look at porn. He mm-hmm. died for the you right now who Amen. did. And and that's that's the freedom you need, not the you'll do better next time, mm-hmm. because there's there's something in us that's just this relig- religion. Yes, you know, we, yes. We want to we justify mm-hmm. ourselves by our performance instead of allowing Christ to justify us by grace through faith. Amen. Which is why shame is so tricky, because you can't perform yourself out of shame. Uh, that's why it's so stubborn. It's so dominating. Even in Genesis 3, after Adam and Eve tried to hide themselves, God made them clothes to cover themselves. 
Like that came from God. And we see it all throughout the rest of Scripture that God's providing, clothing us in righteousness, clothing us in salvation. Yes, it's a prefiguring of the death of Christ. I always want to encourage people um, to tackle shame in community. Uh, Mm -hmm. I think it's interesting in Genesis 3, you have Adam and Eve, and then you have God saying, hey, why did you hide? You know, there's community right away on the scene of shame. And I think Mm. you will not, because shame lives in community, you will not tackle it in isolation. And so you have to get it out. And you have to, but that's the hard part. It's out, so you feel shameful. So there's this double-edged sword to shame that that has to draw you back to the cleansing blood of Jesus. Yes, and there's something about community, too, where looking bad in the company of love can be one of the most powerful ways the gospel can transform us. But it takes a gospel community for that to happen, right? Because... Looking bad around a bunch of people who wish you looked better <laughs> and are kind of disappointed <laughs> that you looked that bad is really going to be self-defeating. Amen, right? amen. So the gospel has to be at the center of that community it for them really to does. understand grace and be able to extend grace. It really does. Well, as we prepare to sort of wrap up our conversation, is there any other just good facts or thoughts about shame that are helpful for people to have? Um, here are a, f- a, f- a few little things that have helped me. Um, prayer is not the place to be good with God. God desires honest prayers. We can hide in our prayer lives. It's crazy like that, where we're just not honest with God about our hearts. Um, another thing, and maybe this will this warrants another podcast, but sometimes we have to ask ourselves, are we putting forth a persona are we putting forth um, a favorable view of ourselves that's actually hiding some shameful stuff in us? And that's a very, whoo, that's a deep question there. But am, am I being an authentic person in my gospel community, in my significant relationships? Or have I uh, adopted sort of this fake me that is a, really a sophisticated way of hiding from God and, 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 and covering my shame. Uh, I think we're not alone when it comes to shame. This is the only thing I would add. Um, you know, if you, need a, if you need a good biblical example, you're not alone in your shame because Peter, who Jesus loved pretty well, yeah. you know, denied Jesus three times and, and felt the shame and he's lurking around, you know, when the cross was going on. And so... Uh, we're not alone in our shame, and at the same time, Jesus built his church on that guy. And so, um, you know, you're not alone. There's biblical examples of that. And th- the ways in which we feel shame are different, too. You, there's been certain things done to you that make you feel shameful. You've done certain things that bring about shame. And 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 so we're all in this big shame party together, but it's covered by the blood of the, yes. by the blood of Jesus in the gospel, and it strengthens our faith. And if instead we self-protect, we move towards unbelief. Mm-hmm. As we've been talking, it's clear that this is a massive topic that has a lot of layers to it and a lot of angles. And I think it's clear to the four of us that we probably have just scratched the surface today. So let's come back to this uh, in the weeks to come and, and try to do a fuller job tackling some of the implications of this topic of shame. Yes, and and here's a great scripture that kind of maybe punctuates our conversation for, for today. Psalm 71, 1. In you, O Lord, I take refuge. 
you will never let me be put to shame. Psalm 71, 1. Well, that's going to do it for today's podcast. The goal of this podcast is to equip our own church for discipleship and mission. So if you're a Christian or a church leader in another context, we invite you to listen in. And we pray that the things that we talked about today might also be helpful to you as you minister in your own context. Please join the conversation by tweeting us at Coram Deo Omaha on Twitter. And we'll talk to you again next Wednesday on the Wednesday Conversation.